Finnovate showcases cutting-edge banking and financial technology through a global conference series featuring short-form demos and thought leadership. Now, the conversation continues on the Finnovate podcast. Hey, and welcome to the Finnovate Podcast. Joining me today, we have Tony Ulwick, founder of Stratagent and a pioneer of the jobs-to-be-done theory. Tony, thanks so much for joining me today. Greg, thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. Yeah, so uh, to start, can you give us just a little bit of background on yourself and kind of where this jobs-to-be-done theory came from? Sure. So uh, I started uh, my career at IBM back in the 1980s, and I had the pleasure of working on a project called the PC Junior. Uh, which was uh, IBM's entree into the home computer market. And the uh, day after it was introduced, the headlines in the Wall Street Journal read, the PC Junior is a flop. <laughs> and it was. It was a, It turned out to be a billion-dollar failure. And I, I couldn't believe that a company like IBM, with all its vast resources and, and money, could make such a mistake. But I quickly learned that this happens all the time to many of uh, the world's greatest companies. And um, after that, I, I uh, found the concept of innovation and the innovation process to be extraordinarily interesting. So that's really been my career. I spent my last five or six years at IBM uh, as a product planner, and I started Stratagen back in 1991 uh, after creating an innovation process that we'll talk about. And we've applied that process in over a thousand different engagements across 30 different industries. And I would argue that it's, uh, you know, probably the best innovation process that exists in the world today. Yeah, well, certainly, I think looking at it from that standpoint, so many people, when they make a mistake like that, or they're part of a mistake like that, they kind of want to move past it as quickly as possible. And I really applaud you yeah. for going and diving in and saying, wait, what happened here? How did how did this go wrong? Um, and obviously, the lessons that you were able to pull out of it have been really helpful to companies from all manner of industries. And so, you know, let's start by diving into this concept of outcome-driven innovation. This is something which um, I think will be really interesting. Can you give us just a quick overview on, on what exactly that phrase means? Sure. So, you know, after that uh, failure at IBM, uh, it, it occurred to me, you know, how did those people know the very next day after we introduced the product that it was a failure? Clearly, they were using yeah. some set of metrics that we weren't using. And I thought, wow, if we just knew what metrics they were going to use to judge the value of our product a year and a half ago when we started developing it, we could just design the product to meet those metrics and we'd, and we'd win in the marketplace. It sounds simple enough, but the thought was, well, what are those metrics and how can we capture them and do they exist? And this is where the concept of outcome-driven innovation comes into play. Um, Fast forward a number of years, what we concluded is that people buy products to get a job done. It's an economic reality, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, we have a choice. It's it's the old thing. Do you want a, a quarter-inch drill or a quarter-inch hole? Uh, well, we could look at the world of innovation through the drill maker's lens, or we could look at the world of innovation through the hole maker's lens. And when you look through the world, uh, look at the world through the homemaker's lens, you quickly see that people are buying products to get a job done. So let's analyze the job they're trying to get it get done, break it down into its component parts, and figure out how do people measure success along each step of the way. And what we've learned is that in most markets, uh, there are a hundred or more metrics that people use to measure success, and we call these metrics the customer's desired outcomes. And the thought is, if you can know in advance what metrics are going to use to judge the value of your product and know which of those outcomes are 
unmet or underserved, you can systematically work to create solutions that address the most unmet needs and thereby conceptualize products that you know will win in the marketplace before you even start developing them. And it turns out uh, you can do exactly that. Man, I mean, it sounds so simple when you say it like that. It seems very obvious, but all, as we know, things that are simple and obvious don't always kind of factor into our thinking when we start thinking about complex processes and situations. Where do you see people kind of going wrong here? What, what are some of the pitfalls that people fall into instead of kind of going down the road that you were just talking about? Well, it's really a, a mindset shift that's required because uh, most of innovation uh, begins with an idea or so people think, and then you have all these ideas and then you start try to figure out which ones might create value for customers. Uh, but this requires a, a different view and, and patience because what we're saying is let's define the market uh, as a group of people getting a job done. Let's go study that job in detail and understand all the metrics and figure out quantitatively which of those needs are unmet. It's it requires very different thinking. It's so much more fun just to come up with ideas and go start building them and see if they win in the marketplace or, <laughs> or if they can even make it out of development. But as, as you know, uh, you know, that approach generally results in failed products. So uh, the goal here is to bring predictability to innovation. It just requires more discipline, more planning up front, and uh, many companies just don't have the patience to go down that path. Yeah, I mean, certainly you can see how people do go astray. It's so easy to have a good idea and then kind of that discipline side of it is really difficult. And one of the things that we've noticed over the years, I mean, certainly there are technologies that come to the Finnovate stage that look really good in this kind of theoretical environment, sort of lab environment. You think, okay, that technology is clearly, you know, quote unquote, good technology. And yet the, the technology will sometimes struggle to gain traction in the real world. Um, and, and this is something which a lot of companies in the financial technology arena really struggle with. What advice do you have for innovators and startup founders who find that leap really difficult to kind of go from, you know, I built this technology in a lab in my head, it looks good, to this is actually something which is now going to be out there in the market used by hopefully hundreds of thousands of people? You know, it's funny, when Thomas Edison uh, first inv invented his first product, it was a massive failure. It was a voting machine used in, uh, the, in the legislative voting scenario. And he learned after he created the product that people didn't want to do that. They didn't, they didn't want to quickly vote. They didn't want to quickly tabulate it. They wanted to uh, negotiate and keep a secret until they were ready to reveal the final vote. And he declared after that, I will never again use technology uh, or aim technology at a problem that people don't want to solve. Sure. And, uh, and and nothing's changed in all those years, right, Craig? So it's the same scenario. Technologies come and go, but uh, what you want to figure out is how can I apply a technology that's coming down the pike to get a job done better? Now, if you already know what the job is and how people are measuring success along each step of the way, which needs are unmet, you can assess the technology that's coming along to see if it's going to get the job done better or not. And if it's not, you don't invest in it. And the technology as it is may address one or two needs, but here's a better question. If, if you can modify the technology in a way to address dozens of needs in your market, then it becomes valuable. And I learned this lesson back when we were working with Motorola in the 1990s, they were introducing, uh, voice command technology to their radios. And the way they were going to introduce the technology would have satisfied just one or two outcomes. 
But once we showed them all the outcomes that were on that, they said, well, you know, we, we, we could modify the technology in such a way that it could address 11 different outcomes. And they did. And it was quickly adopted and became a big hit. And I, I think that's the lesson to be learned, right? Technology is nothing, uh, you know, unless it's going to get a job done better. And you're not going to know if it's going to get a job done better unless you know what that job is and you've plotted it out. So, again, ha having that discipline, having that insight, and then and then watch technologies over time as they are introduced, will put you in a much better position to make the right investments and introduce those technologies in a way that will really matter. So what do you say to people who are looking at what they're working on and thinking to themselves, you know, I'm doing a job which has never been done before. And I think there are legitimate reasons that somebody might think that, you know, there's more data that's available now, more technologies that are available now that didn't used to be available that do allow us to do things which have literally never been done before. But but there are people who kind of think of their own technologies in this way, you know, nobody's ever done this for doing something that's never been done. What, what do you typically say to somebody coming at it from that standpoint? Well, I think what they're doing is they're doing an old job in a new way. So it's not as if the job didn't exist before, uh, but they're thinking about it uh, from a, a solution perspective that brings new value, right? So they're excited about that. They believe that this technology can get a job done better. Um, and maybe it can. And as we, as we just mentioned, right, uh, the goal of the innovators to figure out how can I use technology in a way that will get those jobs done better. It's very rare that we see uh, new markets come into fruition. It's usually uh, the same things that people have been trying to get done for, for centuries, uh, especially in the banking industry. Uh, people have been trying to uh, accumulate money. They're trying to allocate their money and they're trying to spend their money. Uh, they've been doing those things for, for decades, for centuries. Uh, and uh, we often see also that uh, in, in our research, when we ask people what they're trying to accomplish, they're off trying to do these things whether or not a product exists or not. It doesn't mean the market doesn't exist. It just may mean that there's no really great product to help get that job done or that part of the job done. So there's maybe ad hoc solutions. So when people come along and say, we're doing something that's never been done before, that may be true from a technology standpoint, but it's very unlikely that they've discovered a new job. Uh, they're, they're more than likely just getting a job done better in a new way. Yeah, it falls under the category of my son coming in telling me I'm finished cleaning up my room and it's perfect. Technically possible, but unlikely, I think would be the very fair way to say that. Um, so, you know, we've been talking about this from the standpoint of kind of these startup executives, these people with new companies, new ideas, um, which is obviously that brings a lot of challenges, but maybe it's even more difficult to innovate when you're coming from, you know, a large incumbent player in the space, you know, like a big bank or an established tech provider. Um, are there unique challenges that someone in that kind of role has to be aware of when they're trying to bring new ideas to market? Well, what I find really interesting in the uh, startup space, entrepreneurs generally are focused on a problem. And it's often a problem that they are very familiar with. And these are often the most successful entrepreneurs. Uh, because they understand the problem very well, they have firsthand knowledge of the issues and they have firsthand knowledge of the best solutions. Um, on the other hand, coming from a big, uh, uh, a big company, these large successful players, um, they may not have that knowledge. Uh, they don't know the market as well as uh, maybe a startup might know it. So uh, we we often bring new insight to these uh, organizations by uh, providing them with a definition of the market through this jobs be done lens, 
uh, help them understand all the metrics that people are using to measure success and tell them and where to focus in order to get the job done better. And that, that's the value we bring to organizations because it's very hard for a large organization to know all that unless they're really deeply engaged in the problem. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the other challenges that a lot of people talk to me about is the idea that, you know, you personally can be very interested in trying to push a new product forward, but frequently people coming from those large companies struggle to get the buy-in that they need to from other people on their executive teams or even on their own teams. What advice do you have for people who kind of need to get that critical buy-in from their more resistant colleagues to move an idea forward? Yeah, you're bringing up a great point, Greg, because what we find in most companies uh, we ask this question all the time. Uh, 90% of the product teams, there isn't agreement on what a need even is. So you can imagine this, right? If you can't agree on what a need is, how can there be agreement across the organization and what the needs are and which needs are unmet? And the idea that you're pushing is going to address them. And, and, and this is why it's so difficult to gain consensus in a big organization. Because yeah. uh, it's, it's not as if everyone's fighting value creation. They all want to create value. They just all think about value creation in, in a different way. They define customer needs through a different lens. So the, the real uh, transformation in big companies is moving from a position where the product team doesn't agree on what a need is to they agree on what all the needs are and which ones are unmet. And if you can get everyone, everyone on board with that, then the focus becomes, how do we best satisfy those unmet needs instead of debating on what the needs even are? And yeah. if, if you can get your organization to that point, the rest seems to fall in place you know, pretty handily. Yeah, and I think so much of it is about you know, bringing people into the understanding, hey, there is a real problem that we're trying to fix here. There's a need that's being unmet or you know, a job not being done. Um, to to kind of continue that language, um, you know, we potentially been a little bit remiss here in that we're you know well past ten minutes in, and we haven't actually talked about customers or end users in this conversation so far. Um, that's that's a big miss. Let's fix that now. I know you've done some research on what customers come to banks to do. What can you share from that research? Yeah, thanks for asking that because uh, I've always found this really interesting. There's certain markets that have, I call them platform level solutions. Uh, banking's one of them. People go to banks for lots of reasons uh, to get lots of jobs done. People use social media for lots of reasons. Right, smart homes have lots of jobs they're getting done. So the, they're like platform level solutions. So when we see those, uh, we in, in the banking industry, uh, we've worked with a number of banks that asked us, "Why do people go to banks? <laughs> you know, yeah. what are all their jobs?" So we've done research in this space. Uh, we uh, qualitatively we determined that there were about 154, give or take a few, uh, reasons why people went to banks. And we stood outside those banks and asked people, you know, why are you here? What are you trying to accomplish? What is the, the, the reason for your visit and so on? So we, we captured these 154 uh, reasons why people are there. And then we quantified them to figure out, well, how important is are each of these jobs to you? And how well satisfied are you with your ability to execute those jobs? Now, with that data, we were able to do some statistical analysis that would group them uh, using what's called factor analysis. So we, we grouped things that were similar. And so we could look at all 154 items and say, you know what, you're, you're really not in 154 markets, you're really in nine markets. And they were, mar and so we narrowed it down to like these high level core jobs, like allocate money for investment, 
or manage taxes or protect against identity theft, pay bills, uh, accumulate money through credit, you know, very specific high level jobs that people have been trying to get done for centuries, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I mentioned this earlier, you could even roll that up even higher and say there's really just three reasons or three key jobs that people are trying to execute through banking. Uh, one is to accumulate money, one is to allocate money, and one is to spend money. And so all 154 of those uh, reasons why people show up to a bank could be rolled up into that higher level of abstraction. And it's really up to the banks then to figure out, well, at what level of abstraction do we want to understand our customers and their needs? And we generally go with that uh, that little uh, higher level where there might be nine different markets and go deep in each one and figure out, well, what are all the outcomes that are associated with accumulating purchasing power through rewards, for example, or what are all the outcomes associated with allocating money for investment? And that's when you dig deep, capture all the outcomes, figure out which ones are underserved and work towards getting that particular job done better. And yeah, it's that's an interesting thought exercise. Well, it is. And what you're trying to do is to simplify something that's seemingly very, very complex. We've done the same thing in social media. And you know, why do people use Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and, and others uh, for lots of reasons? But again, if you narrow them all down, there's just a dozen or so core jobs that people are trying to get done in those platforms many of which aren't really executed very well. Right. And, uh, banking's a bit more mature, but there's still opportunities left in each of those core jobs to uh, you know, get them done better. Yeah, no, it, it's a really interesting thing for everybody to be thinking about. And I think it's so useful in whatever side of the fintech industry you're in, whether you're working for a bank or for a startup or for an established player, to kind of really look at this from this very high level standpoint and think, you know, why is somebody coming to use our product? Or maybe why isn't somebody coming to us any longer? Is somebody else doing this better than we are now? And it, we're at a point where there's clearly, you know, increased competition from all sides, from players who haven't historically been operating in the financial arena. And this idea, you know, really look at it from the what jobs are being done is, is so interesting and so valuable. I'm afraid we have to leave it there. We're out of time, but I really enjoyed this conversation. I would encourage anybody listening to, who is interested in learning more to check out Tony Ulrich, look into his books, look into Stratagent and see um, if they could potentially be useful. Um, Tony, thanks so much for taking the time today. Greg, thanks so much. I appreciate it. The Finnovate podcast is produced by Informa Connect in association with Provoke.fm Media. Check out Finnovate.com for information on Finnovate's upcoming shows and to learn how you can get involved. The discount code Finnovate Podcast will save you 20% on tickets to all of our events. And you can email us at info at for information on sponsoring, speaking, or demoing. Thanks for listening. 